Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. If you would, would you go to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and we're going to look at the last chapter, Malachi chapter 4. I want to talk to you about a message entitled, an intergenerational awakening. I think it's probably no surprise to any of us in the room and listening online that we need an awakening in America again. Amen? Thank you for a few of you who are with me on that. I know you're checking me out and I'm checking you out and we'll be comfortable in a minute with each other, okay? I think it is no surprised that we need an awakening in America. Without an awakening in America, I, I can't even picture where we're going to be in the next decade. Malachi has something to say about this. Interestingly enough, this is the last prophet in the Old Testament to speak. And as one of the minor prophets, he has a major message, okay? And I'm going to read a text that is pretty iconic to most of you. You've heard this before, and maybe you even have it underlined in, in, in your Bible. And Malachi has something to say about the last days, about the end of time, about when everything is going to come to this close. Uh, he calls it the terrible, the dreadful day of the Lord. And we're talking about the end of times. You'll see that as we read this. And he, and he shares with us a significant principle of awakenings at the end of time. It's remarkable when we read this how simple it is and how clear and direct the prophet is when he says this. Look at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. And again, he's talking about the end of times. Verse 2, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. And you shall trample the wicked and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord, Verse 4, remember then the law of Moses, my servant. Now, I want to just pause there quickly and say this. There's going to be about four or 500 years after this was spoken, before, before we hear the voice of God speak again. The end of the Old Testament is a, is a close of God working in human history. And it would be another four or 500 years until we would have a record, a record of what God is saying to human history, to, to humankind. So don't you think that the last words of somebody are very important? My wife passed away five years ago. And some of the conversations that we had in, that, in those last few days 
were important words that she said to me about our children and about our ministry and about my life. And those were important. We didn't waste that time. And Malachi is in the same situation right now. He is closing this, this revelation of God for four or 500 years. So what he's saying is really important. Look at verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant. I think that's why he's saying, remember these laws. Remember these statutes. Remember these judgments. Remember what has been given to you. Because it's going to be a while before you get it again. Right? Look at 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Before this day comes, here's the purpose of these Last words of Malachi. And the prophet will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Unless I come, strike the earth with a curse. As pastor said, this is my fourth decade in youth ministry. And whatever we've been doing the last decade isn't working I love youth ministry Heidi knows that she was one of my students I love the young people in this room and hear me I love the church but things have to change because whatever we've been doing isn't working whatever we've been doing in our homes isn't working. Whatever we've been doing in our university settings isn't working. Whatever we've been doing in government, in the private sector, whatever we've been doing globally, listen, whatever we've been doing in the church of America isn't working. Can I, can I back this up? We haven't had a significant spiritual awakening in America for about 60 years. That's a generation. You could go back to the first great awakening and the second great awakening in the 17, mid-1700s, the mid-1800s. You could move forward to the turn of the century, the, the, the 20th century, and see the uh, Azusa Street outpouring in Los Angeles. And then you would move uh, another 60 years forward. There were, there, were some, there were some rumblings and movements that shook regions and locales, but nothing significant that shook our nation until 1967. And in 1967, in the midst of some of the worst racial riots in America, the Holy Spirit began to move in Central California in what is called the Jesus Movement. I was born in 1963. I lived through about 10 years of the Jesus movement from 1967 to 1977. And I, I was born in San Francisco. I was actually born in the corner of Haight and Ashbury. If you know anything about the racial riots and the tension and the history, Haight Park is where it all started. I was born across the street from Haight Park. My daddy was a bus driver in San Francisco. I witnessed this eruption of hatred in our country and yet alongside of it came this Jesus movement this move of God on the beaches and on the bars and many of you in this room were are products of the Jesus movement I'm one of those 
Time Magazine called the Jesus Movement the greatest spiritual moment in the history of America. Think about that. It shook our nation. Front page cover of Time Magazine. But we haven't seen a significant move of God since then. We've seen the Brownsville outpouring in 1995 that, that covered the southeast. And, you know, people would say that that was significant. But it didn't stop our nation and bring our nation to its knees. It didn't reform our nation. And there have been little pockets, right? I could name them right now if you understand church history. But hear me. If you are under 60 years of age, under 50 years of age, that Gen X, that maybe that older millennial, you haven't seen a significant move of the Spirit of God in our nation. And it has to change. We can't keep doing what we're doing and expect something different. That's called insanity. And Malachi comes with this word. Before this moment, before God returns, before this dreadful day of his return, something significant is going to happen. People ask me all the time, when do you think, right? Are we in the last days? And I tell them, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. Because hear me, I believe things are going to get much worse in America. I love you. <laughs> Hello? If you think that we're just hanging on and this too shall pass, let me tell you something. We haven't even begun to see the unraveling of a nation yet. I know you want to hide and I'm supposed to be a mental therapist right now as a guest. I, I'm sorry. Until we see healthy families produce a healthy church. Listen to me now. Until we see healthy, spiritually awakened families shape a spiritually awakened church in that order. Hello? See, the church does not exist to raise your children. I'm about to say, I'm about to be with you, Heidi. Thank you. Thank you for staying with me. The church does not exist to raise your children. The church does, does not exist for your spiritual formation. See, what we have wrong here in America, we have it backwards in America. We really do. We go to church to pray. Listen, God hasn't called us to go to church to pray. He's called us to go to church praying. It's a simple little, can I play with it again? God hasn't called us to come to church to worship. I, I love Carly and Richard and this team. But, but listen to me. I spent hours last night and about 45 minutes to almost an hour this morning worshiping and you weren't even there. <laughs> and it was really good. Listen, God hasn't called us to come here to worship. He's called us to come here worshiping. But we have this wrong. We would rather go to church than be the church. Because it's much easier going to church than being the church. And what has to happen is we need a shift. We need a change in our culture today. Because families exist to build great churches. But the problem is our families 
are not healthy. And so the church isn't healthy. And Malachi lays this out. Let me give you five characteristics of an intergenerational awakening. And what I mean by an intergenerational awakening is really could be found in Psalm 78. You can write that down. I don't have the time to go there. But in Psalm 78, there is this handoff of the faith from one generation to the next. It's a remarkable chapter. If you were interested and you were to read that this afternoon or this evening or this week, Psalm 78 is iconic in its language. If I were to begin to read it or quote some of the verses within this chapter, you would go, oh yes, I've heard that. 73 of some of the most powerful verses in the Bible of handing the faith off from one generation to the next. It's a powerful read. And what I mean by intergenerational is this. Not multi-generational, but intergenerational. I, I like to stretch it and say intergenerational. <laughs> little play on the word there. Because listen, having a multi-setting is not the goal. You hear people talk often about multi-generational settings or multi-racial churches. Listen, I don't want to build a multi-racial church. All multi means is that we exist, but intergenerational means that we are actually in relationship with each other. You see the simple little play on that? And what happens is sometimes when the church stretches itself just a little, right, we allow everybody, we say, we use the language pastor, everybody is welcome. And so people come and we think, wow, we've won. We've won because we're here. Let me tell you something. We don't win because we're here. We win because we're related. Interrelated. Amen? Amen. I was clapping on the inside too. I was, I was clapping on the inside. Uh, five simple characteristics of what it looks like to, be a, to, to see an intergenerational awakening. Number one, when we as families and the church value moments, we create movements. Let that sink in. It's why I mentioned that too often we have what we do in America in Christianity backwards. Do you know that the majority of miracles that took place in the Bible did not take place in the temple? Did you know that? Just in Mark 1 through 6, just the first six chapters of Mark, 26 miracles, only three happened in the temple. And we have this backwards in America. We go to church to pray. We go to church to worship. We go to church to, to you know, see miracles. To, we go to church and then we leave. We say, now, now Jesus, you stay, you stay, you stay, you stay right there. I'll be, ba I'll be back, right? And then we go to, to shake hands. Lord, you stay, I'll be, in the, I'll be back in the sanctuary in just a moment. I'll, I'll be back. And then we walk, we get in the car, right? We drive by the church, we roll the window. I'll be, Lord, just stay. I'll be there next week. See, it's, that's backwards to, to the design of Christianity. See, God 
is expecting us as a church to be sent into this world. Man, it just sounds so elementary, doesn't it? But what we do is we run out of gas and we go to the church. We get filled up. Okay? And we go out and we spend all that. We run, we're on empty and we go back to the church get filled up. When our homes should be filling stations of the presence of God. Hear me. Hear me. If you would value moments like this, the worship together, if you would value moments like we're going to talk about in just a, 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 in a moment here at the end of this message, on how to set a spiritual atmosphere in your home, if you could just see the, the value of every one of those moments, you would see a movement started in your life. Because hear me, almost every organization or movement on this planet began with a spark, began with a mission, began with an idea, began with a moment. And hear me, hear me, organizations, businesses, churches who value that spark, that intent, the why, create movements. Hear me, not just memories. Oh, I remember when God moved. I, I remember when God moved the, the, some of the elders in the, in, in the house. You, you remember that, right? We love to tell stories, but so many of them have happened. I just need to move on. Number two, sorry. Uh, a counter-sexual revolution. What I mean by this is really simple. We must speak to the issues of our day as a church. I'm about to say it again. Thank you, sir. It's warming up. It's, it's warming up. Okay, now, now stay with me. Listen. I believe that pastors and spiritual leaders should be the greatest sociologists on the planet. Understanding the pulse of culture and knowing what to do. You know, that's a spiritual attribute of one of the tribes of Israel. The sons of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew what to do. They were God's sociologists. Hear me. I don't want the answers for the questions nobody is asking. I don't want to be irrelevant and so all I'm saying with this second point, an intergenerational, a healthy intergenerational awakening takes place when the old and the young understand the issues that are related to both of them. And right now we are living in a sexual revolution that has transformed society the last 20 years. The redefinition of marriage, the cancel of the sexual purity culture. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. And gender confusion. All of these issues in the last 20 years have created this issue in America where we are fighting amongst each other. And the gay-hate debate started do you understand that gay hate debate started in 1978, 1979? Listen, this is really important. And it started, it started with a lie. It started with a deception. 
In the murder trial of a young man, and I don't have the time to get into this, but in the murder trial of a young man, the, uh, the media raised up and said that this was Christians who killed this young man. And, and, and then the, the, the debate began to explode. This poisonous debate began to explode between the church and the LGBTQ+. And hear me, that murder did not take place in the hands of Christians. It was at a bar, it was at a bar, you, you gotta trust me, go back and read the story, I've read the story, it's in, it's in the book that Pastor will mention here at the end of this message. The, the, literally, this, this tension between the church and the, and the LGBTQ plus community began with a lie. And we, ha- and we have kept believing it ever since. And we put this scarlet letter, listen to me, we put this scarlet letter on a whole generation of people who are confused about this topic or who stand differently than the church on this topic. And we labeled them with this scarlet R and we've treated them as today's lepers. But we've allowed people who are gluttonous, gossipers, and liars to be on the platform of our churches. Hear me, if we don't speak to the culture of our day, the church becomes irrelevant. I love the phrase where Jesus is telling stories with the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors. It's a powerful phrase. All it says was, and Jesus was cozy with the crooks. Isn't that a great way to say it? He was cozy with the crooks, having dinner with the sinners. Hear me. If we don't speak to this counter-sexual revolution right now, this is, as a church, we may not recover without the supernatural wave of God's awakening hand. We're not going to recover because it is piling against us and it's backing us up. Number three, what does this awakening look like? Number three, it is not time for one person to stand in a generation. It is time for an entire generation to stand as one. We need greater unity in the church. We need greater unity between the elders and the, and the saints of the church and the young people of the church. Again, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. We need greater respect and honor between these. But hear me, we need it in the greater church also. We're not competing against each other in this city. We're not competing against another church down the road. Hear me, we are trying to populate heaven and we are trying to depopulate hell. That, it doesn't get, I know it's hard to kind of even talk about hell today. We're not supposed to talk about hell today. That's why I'm not a pastor, okay? I am not a pastor. <laughs> Listen to this. We need a greater love and unity in the church because it is not enough to have a multi-setting. We need an inter-setting of commitment. Here, the, the faith of the church is for the fears of this world. 
The faith of the church is for the fears of this world. And if we could get our stuff together, we have a message that the masses are longing for. They are longing for this message. Do you know how many of your neighbors would love to be here this morning? In this presence, with you, do you know how many of the people who are going through divorce or addictions or loss of a job, you know what we're, what we're dealing with today. Do you know how many of your neighbors would love to be here if they were just invited? We need a greater unity, a greater mission in the church to understand what God has called us to and to work together to that end. To, to see that this message that, that, that we believe that we are living is actually not just for me. It is for the people that you drove by this morning in your neighborhood who see you do that every morning at 8.30 or 8.45 or 9 o'clock, right? For the later crowd at 10.30 or 11 or 11.15, whenever they're on their way here. Listen, they're watching us. And they need us to stand together. They need us to stand together in the mission of the gospel. Um, let me, number four. Um, the Trinity in the life of every believer. God the Father we know. Jesus we know. But who is the Holy Spirit forgotten? Most of us know how to begin our praise, Father God, and we we say our prayers and we end it with "Thank you, Jesus," and we we forget the power of the Holy Spirit to bring it all together. Do you understand right now? If you could picture this in your mind, that that God the Father is seated in heaven, you know that on His throne, and Christ, the Son, is seated on his right hand. Scripture. And if there are two chairs, there's a third. Can I stretch this out a little bit? Mm. There's another chair. That chair's empty. It is, it is the chair of the Holy Spirit, where, where he has been seated from the beginning of time. And if you could just back it up just 2,000 years, you would see God the Father and the Holy Spirit right in heaven, and you would see Jesus working. He just worked. He just worked for 33 years. And as he worked, there, there was a time when he was done. And the, and the Father called him right in the book of Acts, uh, really John 14, 15, and 16, but the book of Acts 1 and 2. And the Father calls him home, right? And in this moment, he says, I'm leaving. This is what he says. I'm leaving, and it's better for you. I mean, think about that. What could be better than Jesus? Now, I know I'm going to walk on, I'm, I'm going to get, uh, pastor's going to get some emails this week and people are going to complain about what I'm about to say, but these are not my words. This is John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus said, it is better for you that I leave because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And what we have done is we, have, we are so fixated, hear me, please hear what I have. 
Mm. Trust me, it's not the first time I've said it, okay? And I've felt the response, but we are so fixated on Christ, we have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, there's coming a time when you need to take your eyes off me and put them on the Spirit. I'm not preaching another gospel. I'm preaching a gospel we have not heard. And so what happens is, God the Father calls him, right, and He's, right, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and they're high-fiving, I don't know what they're doing, right? And he's like telling stories, and Jesus is like, you should have seen the one time when, right? And then he turns over to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, with tears filling his eyes, he says, is it my turn? Is it my turn now? Again, this is C.S. Lewis and not the scriptures, okay? And all of a sudden, the, the, they lock eyes in Jesus says, tag, you're it, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, yes, I've been waiting for this. And for 2,000 years, he's been walking this earth, trying to get a cooperative relationship with you and me to fill heaven. Look at the end of the revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. But we won't even come and build a relationship with him for him to use us in power. If you knew him, you would have a coming out. If you knew him, you would have a coming out. And it would be the biggest coming out this nation's ever seen. But the church doesn't know the Holy Spirit. Hear me. We saw awakenings and revival in our family as much as we saw it in our ministry in the church. All of my kids were healed in our home. All three of my kids were healed in our home. I could take the time and tell you the stories. Let me move to this last point before we pray. The family is the greatest evangelism model in the history of the world. There's no greater way to win the lost than through the family. I don't know what your idea of awakenings are. I'm not sure what your idea of a revival is. But it's not taking the pastor out of a suit and putting him in her or her in jeans. That's not what brings revival. We've tried that. We don't see an awakening or a revival when we get new websites or new church names or neon signs. That doesn't bring revival in the church so that we can see an awakening in the world. You understand this? You see, we're not asking for the world to be revived. We're asking for the church to be revived. Because if the church could be revived, this would be so simple. Because what is happening in this room right now, and what happens in this room week after week, would be happening in your homes, in your workplace, at your school, in the market. It would be happening everywhere because we don't compartmentalize a move of God. I'm burdened for the family in America because 
I miss mine. All my kids are in L.A. Four grandkids and two grandkids on the way, all boys. I'll be there tomorrow. Don't cry for me. But I miss that. Pastor, I miss praying in the spirit with my wife. I miss family devotions at the table with my kids reading the scripture that day. I miss walking into the bedroom of my children and laying hands on them, sometimes asleep, sometimes awake, and praying for them. I miss my daughter coming home and sitting at the table. We had a rule at our, in our home. You can talk with food in your mouth at the table because we wanted, that's when we did our family devotions, three days a week, three nights a week we would do that. And I miss my daughter coming and just chatting. That's, you know, and everybody else at the table was like, here she goes again. And I'm so burdened for the church to see what happens in this moment duplicated on a daily basis in their homes. Listen, it's not the government's fault. Will you stand, please, across this place? Please. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the moderates' fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the wings from one extreme to the other. Listen, it's not your school's fault. It's not corporate's fault. It's not social media's fault. Look at me and hear me clearly. It is our fault as parents. We started this a long time ago and we can end it. I know if you've set patterns up in your, in your family that are gonna be difficult to stop, we just can't hit the brakes and everything's gonna be great tomorrow. I get these questions all the time. It's why I wrote the book. We need a move of God in our homes that would be brought to this place and set the church ablaze. We need elders in this place whose children, kind of like myself, are, are out of the house, who walk into this place and look for a young couple or a college kid and say, come here and sit with me and let me tell you a story. Sir, ma'am, it's not time to retire. It's time to refire. Sir, ma'am, we need your voice. Grandma, Grandpa, we need your voice. Do you know Gen Z is actually closer to their grandparents than they are their parents? That's data. That's fact. That's findings. Gen Z is actually closer to their grandparents than they are their parents. And you want to know why? Because their grandparents are more spiritual. Uh, man, I, I skipped it. I'll, I'll cover it in the next service. But th there's facts on that from the degeneration of biblical worldview. So maybe we can edit that into this. 
Gen Z is much more comfortable with their grandparents than their parents because of the spiritual heritage that's there. Hear me, we need God to do it again. What we've seen in the past, we need God to do it again. I know people say it's not gonna be like it was before, right? It's gonna be new. Let me tell you something. How long have we been saying that? That it's gonna be new and it's gonna be grassroots and it's gonna be another way. We've been saying that for 60 years. I think the old way works. Repentance. Repentance. Repentance in our homes. Would you right now, man, I know, I wish we could flood the altars of this place right now. I see it in my mind when I was praying for you last night. I saw it in my mind. You were all over this place. Here's what I want us to do. If you need to, man, we have to close shortly, but we're going to sing this song in just a moment. If you're not with your family unit, I want you to move to your family unit. Like if, 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 if you're apart, maybe, would you begin to move to your family units right now? Grandmas, grandpas, moms and dads, children. Would you move, begin to move right now to your families if you're not? I want you to be able to hold each other's hands and I want you to pray with each other in the next few moments, will you? If you're a single and you need a family here, you're a young adult and you need a family. Would you just cuddle up? Some of you, will you, if you see them around you, would you bring them over to you? Look around you right now, seriously. Look around you right now and say, come on over here and pray with our family. Come on. God, we're asking right now. We're asking for an awakening in our culture and we're asking that you would begin it with the revival in the family. Please. Come on, will you hold the hands of your family right now? Would you hold the hands of them? Would you pray for them, sir, ma'am? Maybe this is the first time you've done this in a long time. Come on, pray for each other right now. God, awaken our home. Revive our home right now. Come on, come on. No one praying alone. Come on. Awake right there while you're watching with us. Will you call them over? Maybe somebody's overeating in the kitchen. Would you call them over right now? Will you do that, please? And, and, and fill your home with what's, be, what's taking place right now. And pray right now. Maybe it's awkward, but that's okay. We got to start. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Could you right now just cover your home in prayer and intercession? We see you move, God. We've heard the stories, God. But we're asking, would you do it again? God, we've, we've seen it in the scriptures. We've seen it in church history. We know that you can overcome in any situation. God, we know that you can move nations. Would you move in our families right now? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness.